Hello, friends. Welcome to Daily Bible Reading. I'm here again with Mr. Michael Mishkin, my good friend and whom I consider to be a Bible scholar. We're taking a cursory view into the book of Revelation. Mike, thanks for being here. I'm curious, what, what version of the Bible are you reading today? Um, in print, I read the New American Standard. I find that to be the most accurate, even though it's 20 steps down, in my view, comparative to many other versions, including the King James Version. Uh, on my phone, I have the MySword app, which has a slew of translations and Strong's concordances and lexicons, and I can actually read Hebrew, see grammatical aspects in there as well. Um, so there's multiple facets to reading, but if we're just reading straight print, I would go to the New American Standard myself. Okay, great. I um, I I like the uh, NASB. I also like the ESV for as a word for word, and I just bought a new. Um, when we were down at, at Myrtle Beach, after I dropped my son off at your house, my son's off at your house, we went over to Market Commons and I got, um, used a Christmas gift card and got a CSB or something. I think it's 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 a newer, it's a newer one, but it's kind of a, a blend of the word by word translation and a thought by thought. Like, so it's kind of a blend of the ESB and the NIV, um, just for a different perspective. I, I don't think any of them are perfect. But like you, I also use Bible Hub on my computer or mobile device for the interlinear. I don't read Greek or Hebrew, but I know how to click a hyperlink and read the translations in English and go to the root words and the etymology, which is something that um, I, I picked up from you. And so thank you for that. Um, let's let's get started. Revelation chapter one, context. What's What is happening here? Uh, John wrote Revelation. He was exiled. He's on the Isle of Patmos. Um, take it away. All right. Well, again, this is the very complex book. Uh, we're looking at something that I believe uh, a lot of the previous written material should be studied very well before approaching, but we could still go over the synopsis of it just to get an idea. Um, revelation is the revelation of John. Another interesting aspect, if you look at it in the Greek, it's apocalypsis. We use the word apocalypse. Compounding in our words that we believe today, we think apocalypse means the end of the world. Many people, if you said, oh, what happens to the apocalypse? No, it means revelation. It doesn't mean the end of the world. That's right there, a little nugget of understanding of how because of our compounded mindset, understanding of words, we don't, we, we go into left field. So it's so important to break down the words and make sure we know and understand what they are going back to the origin and trying to say. So yes, John is on the island of Patmos, supposedly around 90 something AD. Um, He's in prison and he gets this revelation. And as we look here, let's just, let's, I'll just read the yeah. beginning. The and, revelation. And even, even before you do that, Mike, excuse me, I just want to ask a, just a, a clarifying question. Could, could you say, because um, the word revelation, I think is overused and, and under, mis, or under understood. Um, could, could another word be the revealing? 
Well, that's and that's what revelation is built off of a revealing, uh, getting better understanding of. Whereas it was a mystery before. Yeshua said that there's no more mysteries. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. So, you know, even Paul, when he said, I tell you a mystery, well, he explains it. So it means it's not a mystery anymore. This was a mystery. Mm -hmm. I'm explaining it because now I understand. So that's what God is trying. Thank you. And you said this is the revelation of John. As, As we read here, the revelation of, I'll say the Hebrew, Yeshua, the Messiah, Mashiach which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Yeshua, the Messiah, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. So he's, he's starting now, this is context. Context is setting the stage of where he's coming from. Very important in any scriptures that you do. You can't have these one liners shooting them out as if they're little spell books and think you're getting the real understanding of where, what, where things are coming. So he's John is getting this revelation, this that he's saying Yeshua. It's the revelation of Yeshua, who is the truth. Remember that. It's more than just some guy that God gave to him to show to his bondservants. This is now an opportunity where God's saying, okay, here we go. We're giving you something that's going to really start opening your eyes. And it's things that must shortly take place. Remember, this guy was about 2,000 years ago. Shortly take place. So the context is starting to show you a time period sort of relative to him. Doesn't mean it doesn't go to an end time because obviously we see uh, the finalization towards the end. But we must get the idea of where a lot of this is coming from. And he sent it and communicated by his angel. So there he's got his angel, his messenger, his deputy is is part of the breakdown of the word angel if you break down the word angelos to his bond servant john so john i got this message for you and he's communicated to him bore witness of this word and you're blessed for those who read the words of this prophecy and hear so it's more than just reading it You have to hear it. Hearing is a word of understanding. Blessed are those who understand what I'm talking about. Those who are blessed. Now, I won't go into breaking down words so you understand. I mean, we have to go into understanding what all these words mean. Blessed and good and worship. But we understand generally what blessed means for now. And heed the things that are written. For the time is near. So two times just in those verses. It's saying for John shortly, and it's saying for near. So we know what's being written here from his perspective and what was communicated is showing a context of a time period around his time. I understand we have to understand the relativity of time as well. And all of that has to be broken down too. But 
here's where we start in the context there. So. What does near mean then if we have, I mean, obviously, like you said, you, you pointed that out. John 2000 years ago said this is shortly taking place. This is near. And now here we are 2000 years later. Um, it means obviously we must be closer and we must be even nearer than John was, or was he not talking about time? Was he talking about something outside of the space time continuum as we know it? So now in proper study, the one thing we want to keep out is assumption, but we do want to allow the variables of options. We do have certain anchoring facts that God's not stupid and we know this is true. So if he's saying shortly and he's saying near, there's a relativity of time to this whole revelation. And there's a way beyond our finite perspective of time that this is operating in. So we have to keep that into account. As you're doing investigations, you put, it's like, if you ever watch how detectives start to try and track down their perpetrator, they get a big whiteboard down and they start to take all their facts and their information they slap it on this whiteboard and put it all together and they start to look at it. They don't form conclusions. You do not form conclusions in study until you can actually draw the line and it say, yes, this is, this is what I'm seeing here. So all you wanna do when you're doing study is take things, put it up there. It says it there. Maybe if it needs clarification, you start breaking down words to be sure you're understanding where it's coming from, but do not assume and do not form conclusions. Just put it on your whiteboard and go from there. So what we can glean is an idea of soonness, according to himself, something near, something time is short from that perspective. So it sets the stage in that mindset. So I, I, I love the analogy of a detective um, looking at it at a crime scene and and you really you referenced using the scientific method right so we have a lot of theories and until we can prove that theory to be absolutely true we cannot accept it as a as a law which would be an absolute truth and and a lot of people um, have theories that they accept as absolute truth and that leads people astray is that fair okay awesome or where do we go from here I'll continue reading and we can discuss some more. So John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before him, before his throne, and from Yeshua the Messiah, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So just to stop there, a lot of stuff to be seen as well. Here, John is now clarifying who he's getting this from and who it's going to. So here's context. Who's talking? What's the time period about? Who's he talking to? And, you know, where is this really coming from? What's the authority? So we see all of that in these verses here. You know, John's talking and he's talking to these seven churches that are in Asia and then he's greeting them grace to you 
who is and who was and who is to come. So now he's referencing the beyond the beyondness of our, you know, our Messiah, the great high Lord over all from God. Uh, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So this is where we start getting into a lot of the figurative understanding of many different things. When it comes to revelation, one of the things that needs to be studied and understood is the prophets. Because throughout revelation, you're going to see Daniel, you're going to see Zechariah, you're going to see Isaiah, you're going to see Jeremiah. If you don't, study the prophets, you will not really understand this book. I don't accept anybody who gets any ideas from Revelation and doesn't recognize the different prophets that are being spoken and repeated from in all through the previous ways, the previous books. Another thing is to understand wording. You know, a lot of the things that are written in Revelation are taking a complex amount of information and it's synopsized into a symbolic forms because that's how you express great amounts of information into a into a small portion similar picture is worth a thousand words exactly but now you got to understand the picture you got to understand the symbol you got to understand the code you know this is why different you know spy agencies have their ways of sending code the other side understands what they're trying to say while everybody else is there. It's encrypted. So here we have to learn how to in decrypt these understandings. Now, we do understand the word seven. That's a very that, that's pretty simplistic in study. Seven. It means to be complete. It's a completion aspect. God made the world in seven days. You know, days of the week are seven. Why seven? Why not eight? Why not four? Why not 10? These are the questions that bring somebody into proper investigation and study. You know, he could easily say another number, but he says this number, he's trying to express something. If you try to, if you understand something in its symbolic representation, you can apply that meaning into the, into the scripture and see if it works. Doesn't mean it's a guarantee. Remember that again, everything is the whiteboard. But having the tools of, transla of, of translation or decrypting can help you. You just put it on the whiteboard, though, and we see if it now creates the points. That's so there, there, there are some, some, some foundational truths that we must approach this with, is what I'm hearing you say. Um, one is God knows what he's doing. He's not making mistakes. And another is everything that's in here is here for a reason. So the number seven, which means completion, um, perfection, even maybe, is there for a reason. It's it's not it's not willy nilly. It just happened to be the number seven, right? It's God ordained that, and God is trying to communicate something through that. Correct. Okay. So, and again, to understand and really see what the breakdown of these different symbol symbolic representations mean can help you in study. It's not. A, you know, one shot. Okay, I got the one bullet. So let's just try and use the same scripture and replace the word seven with complete or completion. John to the complete churches or ecclesia, the completion that are in Asia, 
grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come from the complete spirit who is before his throne. Taking that, it gives a little bit more understanding. You know, it's not about, okay, there's these seven guys here. Oh, who are they? And, you know, these seven churches. Oh, who are they? now it's the complete ecclesia, the complete amount of called out ones, the ones that he's known with the complete spirit, the fullness of the spirit. This is where he's trying to express where before God. You might have, but it sounds to me like, oh, that, that makes a little bit more sense. Now, were there seven churches? Yes, there were. Because a lot of symbolism is based off of literal. But the literal is there to help you uncode the spiritual understanding and the meaning behind it. So that's why, you know, you had a King David, you had a King Saul, but both these guys represented a spiritual idea and understanding. Actual people existed, but it's not about who they were more as what they represented. Right. So again, awesome. we'll move on from there to now continue to see what else he's saying so he says the faithful witness born from the dead the ruler of kings of the earth to him who who loves us released us from our sins by his blood and he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his god and father to him be glory and the dominion forever and ever amen so he's now describing where he's coming from to him who loved us and what he did for those who are truly his he has made us to be a kingdom of priests now there's a factor of understanding of who he could be ultimately talking to but he's talking to the seven churches which were they were in asia those were pergam pergamum uh, ephesus and so on so these were Gentile congregations. So he tells us we're here to be a kingdom of priests. You now have to understand what a priest is. A priest is not what we understand in the Catholic Church. A priest is a English word that is off of what the Jews had with the Levites. There was the priest, the Kohanim. The Kohen, as it's called in Hebrew, that person was a representative. He was an intermediary. He was a uh, an intercessor a go-between that's what a priest actually is you're the one you're the the physical vessel between god and the people you're there to help the people understand and you're there to make things right before god that's what it was the priest operated in rituals back then which were all symbolic representation of on behalf of the people keeping them right before god on his behalf towards the people was teaching and helping them to be in the right standing of righteousness and behalf of god hey forgive us i know we're doing wrong but here's our offering to be straight you know that's where the cross comes in it's all part of the priestly aspect is all about giving over the wrong ways the carnal ways the flesh the animals that were being sacrificed in order to be made right with god all of that temple worship was done to show us what the cross does in our lives we have all different aspects of offerings sin offerings burnt offerings all those different things are what we do as part of the cross in approaching god and being made straight with him 
by getting the carnality out of the way through recognition and submission. This is very important to understand. So John again here is addressing, you know, that he has made us to be a kingdom. A kingdom is what? It is a rulership. It is a government. He hmm. made us to be a government. Priest to our God and Father. To him be glory, dominion forever. So he's expressing, we're a government unto God. We're, we're the expression, we're the intercessors unto God for him to have the glory. The glory is what? What is glory? Glory is an honor, an aspect of everyone's. I used to look this word up and it would come to the word opinion. And I'd be like, opinion, because in the Greek word, it's doxa. And I, opinion, why does opinion have to do with glory? Well, it's an actual, every in everyone's opinion, when we understand opinion, it's your thought of what you believe of something. So glory is a high opinion of, to his glory. So the people getting a high opinion of God and everybody together. It's a high honoring of God, recognizing his greatness, lifting him up and we're nothing. So you're giving him the glory. You're giving him the expression of your high opinion, which is honor. Which, so only, is which only happens if you have a correct understanding of who he is, right? Not that we'll ever have a complete understanding of who he is, but like we're not seeing it in... A lot of places today like in in the traditional worship service today um we're not seeing the glory of god like we're not seeing the shekinah glory appear and and the the, the worship leader coming away with a glowing face like moses did right up coming up coming down off the mountain like it's different it's different than what we're experiencing the actual true glory of god or even a high opinion of god i think is going to come when we have the proper understanding of who he is right because the goal is the collective glorifying that where everyone is in one accord and the spirit of god within each person is lifting up the lord the same way and it's a unifying aspect and then that's what manifests the presence of God. People don't understand that there's a lot of practicality to how God moves. You know, the reason why God doesn't move is because everybody's in their own little world and we're all little stones of this temple. A temple is an enabler of God. The physical temple that they had back in Israel and with, with uh, the Jews and the worship was symbolic of us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit now. We're stones of this greater temple, as, as it is described, I believe, by Peter, um, of this greater building. Whereas if all of us are fashioned together and unified as one stone next to another, we can contain and let the glory of God, the manifestation of his presence, like you see with Solomon when he built it back then, can indwell us and then shine. But that comes from a unity, and we are not unified. We are far from unified because everybody has their own ideas, and that's called chaos. God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. So there's many facets that have to be brought back to what the early followers had. We're not here creating some sort of idea model that we're talking about now. But what I'm trying to express is what the first followers, the apostles, with Paul and all of them actually had and how they operated. So we do have a blueprint in Acts 
to tell you, okay, how did this get walked out? So it's very important to analyze that. Mm. It's good. It's, it's, it, it's good. It's deep. Um, so we are, one of the things that you said is, is referring to the kingdom or the government. And we've talked a lot about the true meaning of the word ecclesia. And just as a, as a side note, um, ecclesia is translated as church in most of our Bibles. And it's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. Jesus said, first, first use is in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And the word church was inserted originally in the King James. It's a different um, understanding because the word church refers to a building. And every spirit-filled believer I know today would, would define church relatively the same way. It's not, it's not the building, it's the people, right? But we still have this word association with a building versus a government. And the word ecclesia was actually used in the Roman Empire, it was an official government term. It was a Greek word that the Romans adopted that referred to the ruling council of the of the, the government in each city. So anywhere you went in Roman occupied in the Roman occupied world, wherever there were two or three Roman citizens in that municipality, they represented the Roman government and they were the ecclesia. And wherever they went, the laws and rules and edicts of Rome applied. And so it gives us greater clarity, understanding we're not just Jesus followers going to heaven someday. We are the government of God bringing heaven here day to day. And wherever there are two of us gathered together, as Jesus said, um, I am there in your midst. And so the laws of heaven apply wherever there are two believers together it's, it's interesting how it all comes together well and to answer that i should say while we say it's a building it's actually more of the structural building of a spiritual atmosphere because you can go into your home and create a home church and you're still operating in the yes. church as at large um, it's a mindset of their way of doing things it's it's an operation system operating system um, so it's, it's not technically a building as in, you know, okay, we're going into some sort of structure here that we call a church. It's what the operating system, the atmosphere is. It's King Saul's kingdom. It's a different kingdom. It's a different way of operating, different way of functioning in the idea of God. And what we're calling out as far as this ecclesia is the called out ones was following the way. The way was back to god's right way and today it's not the way it's the way of satan it's the way of antichrist it's having a form of godliness but denying the power so you can have it in your house you can have it in a park it's not the physical actual it's it's the idea that's uh, a finite perspective and wrong interpretations and teachings is the ultimate understanding of this and and we use the expression as church in the English, whereas if we go back to the Greek, use ecclesia, called out ones. We're called out of it. That's the goal. We're being called out of that false mindset, as the men who followed David when they left Saul's kingdom, they were tired and they were 
they were bogged down and they didn't they basically didn't like Saul's kingdom and they said they went with David and they made him captain over, over there. That's symbolic of people didn't like this system of operation of the people of God. And they were following this guy who was the man after God's own heart, who showed results in his faith in God. And they said, we're going with this guy. That's symbolic of what we're dealing with now. Same exact thing. Absolutely. So I'm going to go and I'm going to continue reading now at verse 8. So it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. There he's really establishing himself. I'm before and after. I'm the beginning and the end the, and all powerful. Basically making no qualms about who we're dealing with here. Now, let's just say uh, I'm not covering every single bit of knowledge that you could glean out of this. We're just touching bases now. Just remember that. And again, I'm not telling you what to believe. We're just talking about it, chewing on it. And I'm bringing up little things here and there to think about. So we can, you know, we have limited time to get through this. So I'm just going to move through and try and bring up little nuggets. And do, so do you I, John, to... your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation, the kingdom and the kingdom and perseverance, which are in Yeshua, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God. And the testimony of Yeshua. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice. Like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see. And send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And I turned to see that what was speaking behind me and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man. So there's a lot being written here, the establishment of where he was and he's talking about a tr the tribulation in his time. So we're talking about something to come. Well, he's already in. So how many we got? Uh, and he's saying he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Something to take into account. What does it mean to be in the spirit and on the Lord's day? The biggest thing here, remember, I'm not here to throw you the fish. I'm here to let you chew, teach you how to think. That's key to the kingdom of God, thinking. So you're learning here how to fish, how to think, and how to grab these words and not form conclusions. And he's saying, oh, I, I hear behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Many things that you see in here can be related to other places. The trumpet, what do we know about the trumpet? The trumpet, the last trumpet's going to blow. And when the Lord comes, the trumpets were blown in Israel to get everybody's attention. What was the purpose of a trumpet? That was exactly that. The trumpets were there to get the people's attention. So the reason why he uses a trumpet is for certain purposes over others. Again, I'm not going to bring conclusion, conclusiveness. I'm going to let you look at certain things that are written and say, why did he use that word? Why did he use trumpet? And then he's being commanded to write in the book and send it to these seven churches, which we see in the next chapters, a certain writing to each one. And then he turns to see the voice and he sees a gold, golden lampstand. Now, careful observation can mean more 
seven lamps on a lampstand could be the menorah. If many of you don't know and study in the tabernacle in the temple, there was a menorah, which was a big stand that had seven lights. And there was a big purpose for that. It wasn't just there to be cool or to just show completion. It's symbolizing the light of God's plan from beginning to end. This is why there's so much to talk about before we could really dig into this. We need to break down many ideas that could possibly be like uh, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So there's 7,000 years of God's plan. You know, well, we say, oh, well, 7,000 years, that must be figurative. Well, we don't know that. You're told by science that there's billions of years. The earth is 50 billion years old. That, uh, you know, you got dinosaurs and this and that. Well, you don't know anything. All you know what you've been yeah. told. You've grown up and you've been taught this stuff. And they tell you, oh, look, we got this thing here. And for many of you, if you really have your mind open and you've been really searching out for truth, you're seeing how much today our scientists and those people of science that we trust are lying to you. They've made stuff up and they motivated by money and there's an agenda. Not going to go Man. into <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole other rabbit trail for sure. Um, and I would I would like to even devote an entire show or podcast to just talking about that because I think it, it's 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 so important. But the the truth of the matter is when you carefully observe and and use the scientific method, like we are taught at the at, at the very beginning of of science class in elementary school about the scientific method and how we come come about um, and and testing hypotheses and testing theories and, and all of those different things and then it's completely thrown out the window when you talk about evolution when you talk about the history of the world being however x number of years old i mean we've, we've only got at most a couple hundred years of actual recordings of um worldwide temperature in in various places and they're saying the year the, the world is a billion or five billion years old or however many and based on a tiny one thousandth of one percent of recorded history we're able to extrapolate and know what was going on for hundreds of thousands or millions of years or hundreds of millions of years in the past it's ridiculous it's <laughs> has not a whole lot to do with Revelation chapter one, but it's all connected because it's about the mindset. It's about how are we searching for the truth? Are we taking, are, are we coming from a foundation of truth? Like you said before, of, are we on, are we standing on sand or are we trying to build on a solid rock? And that analogy is so important because it, it, tells us now most of Christianity, unfortunately, and, and we're not saying these are bad people, it's just the sad state of where things are. We have so many misconceptions. We have so many untruths that have become part of our theology, our understanding of God, our understanding of scripture, our understanding of all of these different things. We have these misconceptions. We are believing these lies and as a result, our foundation is so cracked and and weakened. And like you said earlier, Mike, all we have to do to test this is to look at the results. Look at the results. What is the fruit that is being born from 
the way we've been doing church for the last 50 or 100 years. And I would submit that most Christians I know are lovely people, but I was I was on a call this morning with a bunch of guys from our home, home group, and it was said in that um, in that group, like one, one of the people said, I, I wouldn't want to, um, like, I can't wait till I can retire, so I don't have to be I don't have to be around people, you know, and I was like, well, that that's kind of unchristian, you know, I mean, like, aren't we supposed to love people or not, aren't we supposed to, you know, but but the sad reality is most of us are very immature. Most of us are a bunch like a bunch of kindergartners. And it's like, I won't fight with my sister as long as you let me stay in my room and play video games all day. But that's not why you were created. Um, so. It's there's this very harsh reality that we have to come to terms with is is we if we're honest and we look in the mirror and really turn the lights on we are really immature we don't play well with others we really can't be trusted they the measure of a man's character is what he does when nobody's watching right and by and large most christians are very immature and and sinful people so clearly we must have been doing something wrong i'm not saying i'm better than you mike's not saying he's better than than me or anybody else it's just saying collectively as humans we aren't doing it right and that's why john the baptist came and said hey this is a an opportunity to repent you guys you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong and those who are able to agree i mean they were the, the light was able to shine in on them and they're like you know what Th this guy probably is right i think i've been doing it wrong and so i need to repent and that's why john's was a baptism of repentance and that's basically what we're doing here today is to say um not saying i have it all figured out not saying mike has it all figured out but collectively Christians have been doing it wrong, and that's why we're a laughing stock to Hollywood and most of the world. Uh, and essentially, that's I'll agree with you on all of that. Uh, if you want to get to truth, you have to be willing to look at yourself and say, I'm wrong. And that's something I learned years ago. It's like, I'm wrong. You're right, God. And that's that's the key. That's the humility of growth in God. So all of that you described, most of the perpetrators of the falsities and all these nice people that are walking around, they don't, they're not intending on doing things wrong. But again, it's propagated false, false ways that people have decided, I like this. And that's what an idol has become. That's what it's symbolizing when you look in the Old Testament and you see, oh, now they followed idols, this, any. It's a symbolic picture of they set up a way that they like to see it and they've settled on it. And God does not like that. God is, is infinite in knowledge and understanding in beyond the beyond. And you don't stop. There's always a deeper understanding and going deeper and growing. And if you create an image, you're settling. You're settling on, you're making the infinite God into a finite perspective. And that's an abomination to God. So we're here to say we're all wrong. And the yeah, fruit. We're all wrong. The reality, the the the. Like you said, the results are the evidence to show us we're wrong because we're not operating with the kind of authority and power that the first disciples had and we're supposed to. 
Anything that tries to justify why we're not is just defending your idol. Again, I'm going to be like the Simon Cowell or the Gordon Ramsay of the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you the truth straight to your face. You're not going to like it, but it's true. So if your yeah. emotions get upset, that means you want to defend your idol rather than humbling yourself and saying, hey, wait a minute, let me examine this. It doesn't mean I that have to do it, right? You know, yeah. it means that you need to make sure what you're believing is absolutely true because you're doing a disservice to yourself and you're misrepresenting God. And that's an abomination. Yeah. Well, we are well, well over on time, but I want to if if we could kind of try to sum up these this last paragraph here of, of Revelation 1. All right. So, I mean, just bringing it to where he talks about the lampstand and he says he's in the midst of the lampstand, bringing med more understanding if you try to use some nuggets of clues. Again, the seven golden lampstands, the complete lampstand, the complete plan of God. And in the midst of that plan, which is the seven days, on the fourth day is the middle. You have uh, one that looks like the son of man. Son of man is the Messiah. He came on the fourth day of God's plan. So that's why he's standing in the midst of that. You have to understand the seven days, 7,000 year plan of God, how that works. And then you could see how Messiah came on the fourth day and brought the, the, the good news of salvation which means that you have the opportunity to be connected reconnected back to god where what adam lost for us through the cross which is the transformation process which means you're examining yourself checking for all those idols all those different things that are wrong within us by the spirit giving it over just like they did in the temple back in the day giving over the animal the flesh the carnal man so that it would die so that your spirit man can rise in greater maturity. So that's what I believe, you know, I see in that. But again, it's not being telling you that's what it means, but I'm giving you a little more insight from understanding that I've studied to show what that lampstand is more representative of. I mean, from there, I think we can bring a conclusion. There's a lot to think about here. And again, Thinking is what the kingdom's about. I tell uh, people all the time, I say, if I was to summarize the kingdom of God, all of this in one word, it's think. Mm -hmm. Very important. Think, and, uh, and like you said before, humility. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. And um, so, so many truth bombs, you know, when, when if, if what we are saying is upsetting to you, it could be that 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 an idol is being exposed. Just consider it. And and again, we're not saying, hey, take what I say as the gospel truth. We're saying, take it to God. Ask him, because ultimately, I mean, this is his universe. We play by his rules, whether we like it or not. He's the boss. He's the one who decides. And so take it to him, you know, and um, and. If, if you're upset by anything that was said here, if, um, you know, we are definitely available and would love to talk through any of it with you guys. We love you guys. We're doing, we're doing this because, um, 
we feel uh, uh, charged not only to grow for me personally, like this is edifying for me. I am learning every time I do this, but it's also, you know, Jesus said to love God and to love people. And one of the ways we love people is by sharing the truth in love. Um, it's not, again, it's, we're not trying to say that we're better or that we're um, anything more than anybody else. We're just uh, sharing the truth. And again, not suggesting that you take our word for it. Please don't take our word for it. Search it out for yourselves. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Look forward to Revelation chapter two next time. Mikey, thank you, brother. It is always an honor and a pleasure doing this with you.